How often have you complained or heard someone complain? The instructor, the professor doesn't teach us anything. We're all on our own. All we have is a textbook and some PowerPoint slides. Four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of Cyrus. That's Daniel 1, 17 through 21. I should have said and Azariah there. I just blended them all together. But uh, that's Daniel 1, 17 through 21. Happy to be with you for another episode of Biblical Anatomy. Here we're trying to fulfill a mission to bring together Christians who seek to understand their biblical anatomy, to connect science with scripture so we can better understand God's handiwork in our lives. We have a community. We have coursework that is being published almost daily, and we have a couple uh, different tiers of membership to access that coursework, whether you want to work asynchronously, uh, which is by yourself at your own pace, or in a cohort with a live professor. Today we're going to look at the exam preparedness and learning styles to best support learning in biblical anatomy and physiology. Really, these recommendations can apply to anything you learn, and it ties in with one of the most important things that I learned in college. After I got done spending a whole bunch of money on all these degrees, it clicked for me in graduate school that I could teach myself anything. How often have you complained or heard someone complain, the instructor, the professor doesn't teach us anything, we're all on our own. All we have is a textbook and some PowerPoint slides. As frustrating as that is, and I've said those words myself as a student in your shoes, as frustrating as that is, it was a valuable learning experience once I got through the stress of it all and the anxiety of it all. Once I was no longer in the midst of that stress of that class trying to earn an A in the course, a B in the course, just past the course, whatever it may be, looking back, I was able to reflect and you say, you know what? I taught myself chemistry. That's pretty cool. If I can teach myself chemistry, what else could I teach myself? And for many of you in this new world of academics, as we're shifting more and more and more online, will save yourself a whole bunch of money in this world by choosing to learn at your own pace choosing to learn from trusted resources and learning the techniques to be able to teach yourself. 
When I finished my graduate work, I was really interested in neuroendocrinology, or the study of how the nervous system and the endocrine system work together in human anatomy and physiology. So what did I do? Rather than sign up for a doctoral program that would have cost me probably $50,000, I found a textbook, a very trusted textbook that is taught in a lot of colleges throughout the country. And I purchased that textbook, and I read that textbook, and I was able to discern what I yearned from that, what I was looking for. And so I encourage you to do the same. I think as we move along in education, traditional colleges are going to begin to disappear. We're not going to see the traditional brick-and-mortar institutions, at least not in the way that they've been the last 20 years with these high tuition rates. I think we're going to see more students in your shoes decide to acquire their information a little bit differently, which is where we come in with biblical anatomy. We're here to serve you by giving you a different avenue for that education, but more importantly, we're here to teach you anatomy and physiology correctly, because I've certainly never been experienced to anatomy and physiology that was ever taught correctly. And when I say correctly, I mean including truth, including scripture. Every anatomy and physiology class I've ever taken is based in science and credits God not at all. In fact, I was in a little bit of a retreat, in a business retreat this last weekend, and I explained to a lot of people what it is I do. And they echoed that from their experiences all across the nation in various colleges, that whenever they learned anatomy and physiology, they learned it from a secular viewpoint. So we hope to support Christian students out there that are looking to learn anatomy and physiology. They may simply walk in the door struggling with the concept of anatomy and physiology, but they may find that not only do we support their struggle and get them through their struggle, but we support their faith and we show how anatomy and physiology truly is biblical and faith-based. So as we prepare for exams and we look at our learning styles, there are sort of some tips and tricks that I can dispose to you, that I can provide, but it really takes some self-reflection on your behalf to decide what have I done in the past that was successful and how did I learn it? Nobody's gonna be one learning style completely. There will be some extremes, but never completely. at least from my experience. There's going to be a blend, usually. For instance, I am partially kinesthetic and partially visual and very low when it comes to auditory. If you need a test to give you feedback, there's plenty of online exams you could take there to uh, determine what your learning style is. But I think by reflecting on your previous experiences and what you've learned and what you've learned well, you will be able to discern whether you are a kinesthetic learner, visual learner, or auditory learner. Let's go through each of those. Let's start in alphabetical order. Let's start with auditory. (coughs) Excuse me. If you're an auditory learner, you prefer learning through listening and verbal communication. So a traditional lecture suits you well. An audiobook suits you well. You benefit from lectures, discussion, and audio material, and you may repeat information aloud to reinforce memory. I've done a little bit of that before. I've even added to it. I've re-said something and re-said something in an accent 
because it was funny enough to elicit a memory response to hopefully remember that a little more easily the next time. Again, I score pretty low when it comes to auditory, so I don't use those methods a lot. Generally, auditory people are, at least in my opinion, those that we're often jealous of. I think of one of my dear friends who can listen to an instrument and then pick up that instrument and play it. Doesn't need any music written for him. He doesn't need any visual component or like a how-to video or anything like that. He knows enough about music and a variety of instruments that he can hear something and he can play it. I actually have two friends like that. And to me, that's just genius. Now, in reality, there's genius in all three of these learning styles, and I probably don't credit genius enough in the kinesthetic and the visual, and I probably credit it too much in the auditory because it's so foreign to me. If you were to ask either of them, they would probably have something opposite to say about that. The kinesthetic form learns best through physical experience and hands-on activities. This is one of the most difficult learning styles to engage in an online course, but I have some tips and tricks. They need movement and engagement to stay focused. So with that in mind, stand up during class. Don't sit down. Stand up and move a little bit. Sometimes you might need frequent breaks. That's okay too. Get up and move. Excel in learning by doing and practical experiences. So if there's experiences you can lean on, that certainly helps. But as much as you can incorporate a physical movement into your coursework, the better. So being that I am mainly kinesthetic, what did I do? I wrote. I wrote notes. I physically hand wrote notes. And I, this was before Apple Pencil and the, many of the iPads. So I just did traditional old pen and paper. And there's plenty of scholastic research out there to support that that is in fact a great way to go and does increase the retention of it. Now I took it a big step further and I'll get into that when I tell a story a little bit later. Uh, but think about incorporating some, some handwritten note taking if you're kinesthetic in addition to getting up and moving around. Visual. I am also a visual type. Visual, use note taking and highlighting for better retention. I didn't use too much highlighting, but I know a lot of people that do and they color coordinate and it works really well for them. Good at spatial orientation and easily visualize concepts. Uh, I definitely have this element as an instructor. I take attendance by where people sit in the classroom and because people are creatures of habit, that usually works pretty well. Um, I have definitely been known to ask where someone is if their their seat is empty or if their seat is taken by somebody else and many times they'll say oh I'm over here and I'm on the other side of the classroom but my spatial orientation uh, was sort of imprinted based on that first day of class I can still think of classrooms lecture halls that I was in and almost tell you the exact seat I was in based on the spatial orientation I had of that classroom and that's where many of my college memories come from, is from that viewpoint. Prefer seeing information organized and structured. So figures, tables, graphs, those sorts of things within presentations are going to be helpful. 
and certainly any video you can get with an instructor that is live is going to help tremendously. Uh, any sort of supplemental resource on the topic with illustrations is going to help. Uh, because I am kinesthetic and I am also visual, I really keyed in on mannerisms of individuals. Now I was a psychology minor in addition to a kinesiology major, and so I had sort of an element of this working for me, but I would actually not take notes in class, as I will allude to uh, later, because I would focus on the presenter and how their voice would change and how they would move their hands and blink and move their head and change their body posture and all these different little cues that would signify importance or lack of importance throughout the lecture. I would pick up on those. And if the instructor would let me, I would record the lecture as well. So I'll get into my story in here just a minute, but before we do that, we've got to take that learning and we've got to apply it so that we can best be prepared for an exam. So there's about nine steps that I've prepared for you for exam preparedness. First step I have for you is to schedule daily study sessions before the exam. So if you have a big anatomy and physiology exam coming up, don't wait till the night before. Don't wait till the two hour block you have open before that test takes place. At best, you're going to mind dump. If the instructor lets you have a blank sheet of paper, at best, you're gonna take that blank sheet of paper or you're gonna flip the exam over to the blank side and you're just gonna dump. But I've seen so many students do that and I've done it myself where they dump, but then they actually get to that question in the exam and they have no idea how what they've dumped on paper actually applies to what they're trying to answer. So I would recommend short study sessions. Now some people can learn over time uh, or longer periods of time, I should say, and it takes the, their learning a little bit to get warmed up. And so if that's you, you may need to do longer study sessions, but I would still start them at minimum a week before the exam, preferably two weeks or even a month before the exam takes place. If you're in an anatomy and physiology class where the structure for exams is basically a midterm and then a final, you have plenty of time to incorporate this and this works well. If not, you're going to have to adapt to the circumstances, but you can still schedule daily study sessions. Opt to make them short is step number two. So reinforcing those, but making them short. Again, if you need to make them longer based on how you acquire information, then do so. I would add to this step verbally that in addition to being short, we need them to be undistracted. So we need to do things like go up into the top of our computer and we need to put our focus on, which I'm doing right now because I forgot to do, uh, and for whatever length of time that we're going to need or for whatever block of time that we're going to need. Put our focus on our computer. Uh, do not disturb on our phone so we're not getting those distractions because your short study session is not going to mean anything if you spend 15 minutes and the entire time your phone is just chirping and it's going off. I know I'm a big football fan so on Sundays when I have all these different alerts for fantasy football and whatever else going off, I almost have to completely turn my phone off because it's notification after notification after notification. And I try and spend about four hours on Sunday actually working, so those notifications don't work too well 
especially when I split those four hours into short study sessions. So I need to basically turn the phone off. The third step is to minimize distractions, which ties in with what I just segued with, right? Do whatever you have to do. Put it in airplane mode. Um, do not disturb. Turn the phone off. I prefer, uh, prefer turning the phone completely off because I think how often do our phones actually get shut down completely? A lot of times our battery life will get to the single digits and we plug it in or we set it on our charger on our nightstand the night before and then it's ready to go for us in the morning, but it never actually shut down. Now, if there's a software update, it has to go through a restart, but I think it's good to shut our devices off and kind of give them rest as well. And I've had pretty good success with that. Not saying that I am a professor of technology and I can prove to you that um, this increases the lifespan, but for the most part, my phones have lasted two to four years. Step four is use active learning methods. So this ties back in with those learning styles that we talked about. Assess whether you are a auditory, kinesthetic, or visual learner, and you use those methods actively to help yourself engage in the material. Step five, organize materials in tables. This is really critical for the visual learner, but it can help all of us just maybe not to as great a degree as it will the visual learner. But organize any material you can into a figure, a graph, a table, whatever the case is. Step six is really pertinent to anatomy and physiology. Draw and label anatomical structures. There's a lot of anatomy within anatomy and physiology, of course. And uh, it's important that regardless of whether you're an art major or not, that you take some time and you draw things out. In our live courses at uh, biblicalanatomy.com, at errorphysiology.com, I will do that. I will take some time during the live cohort classes to actually illustrate what we're talking about. Luckily, I've done it for enough years that it is understandable, but I also, uh, assuming you're not an art major, I also am not an art major. Step seven, create physiology flow charts. This is super important and helpful when we're looking at uh, different cycles or different processes regarding metabolism and things of that nature. So like with glycolysis or the Krebs cycle, flowcharts can be super helpful. Another flowchart that we've already gone over is with our anatomical orientation. Now this was anatomy, not physiology, but there was still an opportunity to create a flowchart by going from the atomic level all the way to the organismal level. Talked about that, I think two podcasts ago. Step eight, quiz yourself repeatedly. This is essential. If you find a learning style that works, after that, it's not rocket science. Quiz yourself in that method over and over and over again. Once you find a method that works, the secret sauce is truly repetition. I like to think of it from a percentage standpoint. In a typical lecture, research states that 10% of what I say will be understood. So if we assume we can acquire 10% each time, which is inaccurate, but if we assume that to be the case, how do we get to 100%? Well, we watch the lecture 10 times. What I'm trying to teach and train right now is that I don't want you to go through 10 different versions of the same thing. I want you to find something within your learning style that helps you learn at a much higher percentage than 10%, maybe 25%, maybe 35%. So you're now doing it three or four times as opposed to 10 times to get to the 100% knowledge acquisition. 
that's doable. Quizzing myself three times, quizzing myself four times as opposed to 10 is doable and it's not overwhelming. Step nine, explain concepts to a partner. Whether it's a roommate, someone else in the dorms, someone at home if you're driving on campus, uh, whatever it may be, you have somebody else in your life that you can quiz. Even if you've moved somewhere and you know no one else, you're brand new at this college, make friends, reach out, ask for help, especially in your anatomy and physiology class. You have a commonality and you have somebody that's probably struggling with similar things than you. You may even reach out to somebody that's doing well in anatomy and physiology, but they may be struggling in another subject that you're doing well in, and you can sort of trade in that regard. Either way, study at least with a partner, preferably in groups. I learned probably my junior year of my undergrad that if I could teach it, I knew it. Tell a brief story with that. I was in a class called Cardiopulmonary Respiratory Physiology, Cardiopulmonary, not respiratory, sorry. Pulmonary and respiratory are the exact same thing. That doesn't make sense. Cardiopulmonary renal physiology. There we go. That's better. And in that class, luckily, the professor gave us one test off. We still took the test. I suppose we could have chose to not take the test, but I still took the test. In whichever was your lowest score, he dropped at the end of the semester. So what did I get on the first exam? A 40%. So great. Now I've used my one opportunity. It's out the window. Now I need to get straight A's the rest of the semester on the following four or five exams. So this was an online class, but it was taught at a local university and a lot of people were close to the university, at least within driving distance. And so what I did was I sent a mass email to everybody in class and I said, hey, meet me here at the library. We're going to go over concepts. And I showed up expecting that it was just going to be sort of a study hall and we'd pitch things back and forth. But I quickly realized that all the other students were looking to me to provide them with information. And I was shocked by that. I was like, I just got a 40%. Like, why are you looking at me to provide you the information? Like, we need to help each other. But I felt that peer pressure and I'm glad in that instance that I did because I went home, studied my tail off, and the next time we showed up on campus, It basically was a teaching session of me teaching all of them. And so I would study over the week, over the course of the week at home, and get to a point where I felt like I understood it well. And then I would share it with the group and things would click when I was sort of on stage in front of everybody else. It was one of the earliest clues that I knew I wanted to be a teacher and I was good at it. But I knew in that instance that if I could teach it to someone, I genuinely knew it. Those are our nine steps for exam preparedness. Those are our three learning styles. And we'll end with a little bit of a story. So I alluded to this previously and said I would talk about it again. Uh, I remember being in one class, uh, specifically Applied Anatomy was the name of the class. And I had an instructor look at me and say, are you gonna, are you gonna do anything? I was sitting in the front row and I wasn't doing a thing. I was just staring at him. And it looked like I was wasting everybody's time, like I wasn't doing anything. I'd previously asked him if I could record, and so I had my phone right next to me, and it was recording. We were in these little auditorium-style chairs, 
So there's this little flip around desk that many of you are probably familiar with, this little like one foot by one foot desk that goes down by the side and then comes up. So I had my recording device there and I was recording everything that he said. I had access to the PowerPoints at home. I could download those on my computer. I was just watching him. And it's because I'm a visual learner. And I have a psychological background where I pick up on things that maybe most people don't. But I would look and see how he would shift in his lecture. When he would make eye contact with me. When he would make eye contact with someone else. When his voice would change. Whether it would influct or deflect. When he would pause for perhaps longer than necessary or longer than normal. All sorts of things. And I would pick up on those cues. And that would help me learn in the moment. And honestly, I felt like I walked out of there with like a 50% learning retention. And really all I did with the recording was polished off and got to that 100%. Because I couldn't have him show up at my apartment and say let's redo the lecture and you do all the same mannerisms that you did before and let me get back 50% and now I'm up at that 100%. Obviously, I couldn't do that, but I recognized that my visual learning style was most effective in this way and so I applied it first and I had sort of this backup recording that I could go acquire 10% at a time if I needed to or 15, 20% at a time. I think I got it up fairly high, maybe 25-30%, which plus the 50 got me to 75-80%. And I did that with the note-taking that I talked about earlier. I would actually physically write things out. When I was done watching the lecture live, listening to the lecture and rewriting the notes, of course pausing along the way to keep up, I would usually polish off and this would either be my first step or my last step, depending on how the week was going. So I'd either start with this or I'd polish off with this. I would open up the textbook and go to the chapter that we were speaking to or the part of a chapter or the multiple chapters, and I'd read every sentence of the text. And if it was something that I didn't understand, I rewrote it in my notes. So I had my in-class notes and then I had my book notes. And in my book notes, I would rewrite it not understanding what it was. Later, when I could apply it and understood what they were speaking about, I would rewrite it in my own words. So I was taking every sentence that I didn't understand in the book and I was splitting it into two versions. Their version and my paraphrased version. You might say I'm jumping off the OCD cliff here um, with this next statement, but it worked for me. I also had to do a lot of scientific papers where I was citing things. So I even went to the length of providing a direct quote citation actually written by hand and a paraphrased quote citation. I used mainly APA and so I got really proficient with that. But after the conclusion of my sentence, I would cite it. And I would do that over and over and over again. And it just became second nature to me. And so, you know, again, maybe I started with that, then I went to lecture, and then I, I listened to my recording, that would get me to where I was comfortable 100%. Or if it was a super busy week and I wasn't prioritizing the way that I should, I would go to lecture, I would listen to the classroom recording, and then I would polish off with that method in the book. Um, both methods worked. I preferred opening up with the book because things clicked in class a little bit more and I could felt I felt like I could increase that 50% a little bit but either method worked 
So I hope through what we've talked about today that you're able to apply some of these methods and you're able to better understand not only your learning style, but how you can harness that learning style to best prepare you for an exam that's coming up. Our website is erratphysiology.com. Easier for most people to go to biblicalanatomy.com. They both take you to the same place. There we have links to our podcasts, the one you're listening to now and the other one that we have, Discipleship Conditioning. We also have a link to our school, our community, in which you can take classes from us, whether asynchronous or live. And we also have some blogs that we have in there and a number of other things, products that we sell, those sorts of things. So I encourage you to check that out. If you have any questions or you simply just want to reach out and say hello, you can email us at hello at erratphysiology.com. If you want to send a prayer request, we love those too, and we'd love to pray for you. Email us at prayer at erratphysiology.com. If you're interested in some of the products that we use, maybe you're interested in doing a podcast yourself, or you just want to support us um, in, in, in a way that you can that's minimal, you can go to links.erratphysiology.com and there's a bunch of affiliate links we have there on things we support. We get a kickback on that. Uh, you can also, the simplest way is just to provide a tip. And there's links in the bottom of the description uh, for you to support either podcast monetarily with a $5 tip, $10 tip, whatever it may be. So the take-home message I have for you today is that God has gifted us with unique, uh, unique ways excuse me, to learn material and prepare knowledge to be tested on. So how can you best reduce the time spent acquiring information and maximize the depositing of knowledge? We don't want to do that 10%, plus 10%, plus 10%, plus 10%. We don't want to go through the material 10 times. How can you get up to something like 20, 30, 40, 50%? And that is by harnessing your learning style. So if you don't know your learning style already, figure it out. Assess based on the way you've learned in the past and things that have worked well. And if all else fails, find a little online assessment that can sort of guide you in the right direction. We want to maximize the depositing of knowledge and not maximize the time spent actually trying to acquire that knowledge. As we always do, and we feel called to, Let's conclude with the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.